uh, just sent me you know, a little text saying that we're praying. It just makes me feel, feel good that, that my family is, is not just that family of five. It's, it's expanded quite a bit. So thank you for that. Our Deacon of the Week is right down front here, uh, Brother Scott Huffman. And so if you have any needs, please contact uh, Scott. Uh, he is on vacation. I don't, you're not teaching summer school, are you? God bless you on that. So he says he's got plenty of free time. He can help you out. Um, I just also want to thank all of you who came out uh, yesterday uh, for our event that we had uh, for our children, our school's out event. Apparently that went really well. So thank you for all who volunteered and just came out and played. Um, Pertinent announcements this week, uh, we have the FBI Kids Trip coming up on June 9th, that's at 4 o'clock, and then about a month from now, uh, July 11th through the 15th, uh, we have our Vacation Bible School, so if you still haven't signed up, we have some forms there in the back, and you can sign up for what you want uh, to work in, and if not, then Tiffany and Sydney will come to you and they'll tell you where you're going to go, uh, like they did me, and so I'm fine with that as well. Um, I think that that is all the announcements that I have. Uh, we just have our normal uh, services on uh, Wednesday night and this evening. And Carl Klein said that if you are going to be on vacation over the next two months, that because he is our chairman uh, for membership, he's got, a, he's got his uh, calendar there and he'll mark you down so that he doesn't send out a search party for you when you're gone. So Ned Beck is your first one because apparently he's going to be gone for three different times over the next couple of weeks. So, Carl, you may have to put him on double secret probation or something like that. All right. If you would, please, let's stand and let's greet one another.
almost have to stand up this way. Well, good morning. Uh, our deacon reading comes from Psalms 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in this word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Let us pray. Father God, Lord, I want to thank you for this day, uh, Lord, to come in your house and to hear your word and to hear your song. Lord, we, we thank you for this, uh, this scripture, Lord, that you are just a God of forgiveness. Lord, you have helped us in so many different ways. And Lord, I just pray in advance that you will continue to lead and guide our people, lead and guide our church, lead and guide, lead and guide our families and our community. Lord, that we can continue to spread the gospel uh, here and, and lands far away. Lord, I pray that for, for this service, Lord, that you, are, you will continue to be with us. Be near and dear in our hearts. Lord, continue to lead and guide us in all things. Lord, uh, I just pray that you will bless Pastor Michael this morning. Lord, we love you. And again, we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name. Just stand this morning as we worship together. Well, come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming love And here I raise my Ebenezer Here by thy great help I've come and I hope by thy good pleasure Safely to arrive at home Cause Jesus sought me when a stranger Wandering from the fold of God He to rescue me from danger Interposed his precious blood no to grace, how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be And let that goodness like a fetter Bind my wandering heart to Thee Oh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it Prone to leave the God I love So here's my heart, oh, take and seal it Seal it for thy course above I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel 
worship your holy name. So bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. I worship his holy name. I sing like Come to the altar and pray. We invite you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the extraordinary grace that you have shown us in calling us to be yours. That in spite of our sin, overcoming our sin, you called us to yourself. You chose us to be your people. And God, for that we are most grateful. God, we realize this morning that there is nothing we could do on our own to deserve all that you have given us. And yet, God, you give us tremendous grace and give it to us freely. And so, God, as we gather to worship this morning, we give ourselves to you. We praise you and you alone because you and you alone are worthy of all praise. God, we would ask that that you would show us your kindness and mercy. That you would encourage us when we are downtrodden. That God, you would lift up our spirits and lift up our head. And God, you would help us as we press on for the work that you have for us. God, let our heart's desire be to serve you fully and completely in each and every aspect of our life. God, bring us under submission to your will. In line, God, with your plan for our life. In line with your word so that we can be people who share your light, shine your light into a dark world. God, we pray this morning for pain that is happening across our nation. God, where there is heartache and difficulties. God, where there are people who are sick. God, people who are dying and they desperately need comfort. God, we we pray that your spirit would comfort many people. God, we pray that you would use us. You would use us to bring your life-changing message to people who are hurting and in need. God, we pray that, that in God, the darkness that we find ourselves, God, that you would breathe light, you would be justice you would be hope. God, as we worship this morning, God, direct our gaze toward you. And when we go from this place, God, help us 
Help us to share your love with those who desperately need it. God, again, we are so grateful for all that you have given us. And we know that it is only because you have sent your Son that we can worship, that we have hope, that we can sing praises. And so this morning we pray in his holy and precious name. Amen.
One day the trumpet will sound for His coming. And one day the skies with His glory will shine. A wonderful day, my beloved one bringing. My Savior Jesus is mine. Cause living He loved me. Dying He saved me. Buried He carried my sins far away. Rising He justified freely forever. And one day He's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. Oh, glorious day. Father God, we just thank you that we have a promise that one day, one glorious day, Father God, that all the imperfections that surround us, Father God, the sin that broke the world will be forever defeated. That in perfection, Father God, you will raise a new heaven, a new earth, Father God, and that we will be reunited with those that have gone before. And Father God, we will have the unity that we have never experienced, Father God, in you. That the relationship that we continue to to need forgiveness to repair, Father God, here on this earth will be forever cemented in unity and in glory. Father God, we thank you that you gave us a way, Father God, that you freely gave up your life so that we could have a life with you. Father God, forgive us where we do not follow your will on this earth, Father God, where we do not do the things that you've called us to do, the people that you've called us to be. And Father God, help us to claim the fact that dying, you saved us. It was not an easy thing, Father God. It was one of the hardest things. So we pray that we would never take that sacrifice for granted but that we would live lives that glorify you. This morning we pray that you would just help us to focus on your word. Help us to be impacted by the message, Father God, that you would make us better people than we were when we came in here. That we would be more willing to follow your way. We love you and we worship you. And it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Children's Church. I think you got one more coming, Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning and glad that you have come to worship. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians. 
1 Thessalonians. As has been mentioned a few times this spring, uh, for summer we are going to um, uh, step out of the book of Acts and move into uh, this letter from Paul uh, for um, a number of months through the summer, obviously. Uh, and some this summer, you're also going to have a couple of um, a couple of uh, sermons from Pastor Lore and Pastor Alex uh, from uh, the book of Psalms, and so they'll be there. And we do have some up front. If uh, if you didn't get one, we've ran out in the back, so which is a good thing. Uh, you can pick one up at the end of service. We've got some of our little uh, New Testaments here that have a place where you can take notes, and it just has the text of of First uh, and Second Thessalonians. And so, uh, one of our great deacons is going to hand that out for you. Um, we won't embarrass him by everyone giving him a round of applause. Uh, and the only reason why is because I saw his wife made him come up here and do it. So, and I won't even identify him on video, so the people watching at home can't see um, that it's uh, one of our few bearded deacons. So, if that maybe gives it away, um, or some of you other guys need to maybe step up the beard game a little bit, uh, whichever it is. First Thessalonians. If you have seen uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, Chapter 17, which is where we will pick up in the fall, is where Paul goes uh, to visit the Thessalonians. Um, And so it's, again, always amazing how God works those things out that we're looking at both at the same time. The book of Thessalonians is... uh, is obviously an important one. It's in the Bible, so all parts of the Bible are important. But one of the interesting things is that we have this letter that is so commending of a church. And many times Paul is, is having to respond to a crisis uh, in a church, but it is, it is a much different game, if you will, in, um, for the church of the Thessalonians because um, they are doing well but they have a concern that is grave. Um, And we'll see that as we go through over the next several weeks. Uh, They're worried. And they're worried for good reason. And Paul seeks to calm them in that. And in doing so, he also gives us a better understanding of our own time and the time that is ahead. And so we will cover that in the weeks to come. The, the city there, uh, Thessalonica, was a wealthy city, an important city, and it's not surprising that Paul would go there. Uh, there is, there's major commerce that happens there. There's, there. There are major trade routes that pass through this important city. It was also a very, it was a very wicked city. Idolatry was all around in this city. People worshipped idols from all over the world. They worshipped the Greek and Roman gods. They worshipped, though they were far away, they worshipped the Egyptian gods. Um, they they, they worshipped these gods with, with a lot of passion. And it's in that context, an important city, a large city, maybe one of the top 
five or ten cities in the world at that time as far as population. A city where people traveled through all of the time. A city where ideas went back and forth. A, a city that set on trade routes to the north and south and the east and to the west. A city that worshipped false gods. That, that Paul went and planted this church. And he wasn't there very long before he was run out of town, which is the story of Paul's life, it seems, lately as we went through the book of Acts. But he writes back to them. He writes back to them and he is concerned with them. And he writes to praise them and encourage them and point them toward the blessed hope of the future. And so it's with that idea that we read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and I invite you to stand with me this morning in reverence to God's Word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, we read these words. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You may be seated. If you are taking notes this morning, I want to, to draw you into verse 3. Because in verse 3, you're going to see the entirety of this chapter summarized. Paul, in talking about his prayers and also the prayers of Silvanus, or we've seen him previously in the book of Acts as Silas, and Timothy, again, who we've been introduced to in the book of Acts, these three men, in writing this letter, they are praying for the Thessalonians. And in praying for them, they remind them, even in this letter, of these three important truths. That, that they have something to thank God for, for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this morning as we begin to look at this text, are we a church that is worthy of 
thanksgiving. Are we a church worthy of thanksgiving? And to be clear, and this is just for the kids, because surely none of you adults would do this, uh, I'm not talking about the meal that we eat in November. Uh, We do eat Thanksgiving together, and hopefully we are quite worthy of the tremendous potluck that we have. But Paul is talking about something a bit different here. Are we a a church worthy of Thanksgiving? If the Apostle Paul were going to pray for our church, would he be thankful for the same or at least similar things as he is thankful for as he prays, he and his companions, constantly for the church of the Thessalonians? What does it mean? To be a church worthy of thanksgiving. What is he specifically thankful for in them? These three things are are repeated throughout this chapter. And I think they're worthy of our examination this morning. First we see that Paul is thankful for the work of faith. He is thankful for the work of faith. He he greets them as he customarily does in verses 1 and into verse 2. He he says that he is constantly praying for them for these three things. And so he begins to elaborate, picking up in verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. He gives thanks to God that God has chosen the church of the Thessalonians. He is thankful that God picked them, that God chose them and brought them out of darkness and into His marvelous light. How does He know that God has chosen them? Because, He says in verse 5, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. They had been radically saved by God. And it was clear from the way that they responded to the calling of God in their life that He had saved them. They were not only saved, and it wasn't only clear that they were saved because they could could walk out and tell somebody, I am a Christian. Now, I will tell you, in this time, that was not common. You and I have most of us our entire life, have lived in a country and in a culture where it was normal for someone to say, I am a Christian. I think if we went out, especially where we live here, if we went out today and began to go to visit people in their homes and see people on the street and go to where people are eating in restaurants, and we walked up to them and we said, are you a Christian? the vast majority are going to say yes. We live in a country where, when surveyed, the vast majority of people will say that they believe in God. We know that that's not true of some of the people that even say that. Some of the people that would identify themselves as Christians, we, we know that truly they are not Christians. But that was not common in this time. And yet Paul says that the reality of their faith is much deeper than them affirming that they are a Christian. It's much deeper than them walking into a place 
And, and someone's saying, what do you believe? And they say, well, I'm a Christian. Now, it's not a bad thing. It's certainly not a bad thing to identify ourselves as believers in Christ. Uh, I certainly hope that you would not be ashamed of doing that. If you are, there is certainly a problem because you cannot have a purely private faith. I know that people want us to have a private faith and keep our, our faith to ourselves, but the reality is, friends, that's not what we have been called to. We have not been called to a private faith. We have been called to a public faith. But Paul's thanksgiving here is not because they will say, I am a Christian. The gospel has come to them not only in word. In other words, it wasn't only a word from Paul, and it's not only a word from the Thessalonians, but also in power and in the Spirit with full conviction. Do you see the difference? It's one thing whether you live in a pagan culture or in a whatever our culture is now, where you can say, I am a Christian. It's another thing to have had the gospel come to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. In other words, has this message that has come from the apostles that has come from the scriptures, has it radically transformed your life? Or are really you just the same? Are you just the same as people around you, but you show up to church sometimes? Or you're the same as people around you, but you occasionally read the Bible? Which is it in your life? Has the gospel come to you only in word so that you might say, yes, I am a Christian? Or has there been radical transformation in your life? Because, friends, that is what has taken place in the life of the Thessalonians. They were living in an important city, in a pagan culture, but their lives had been radically transformed. And we know that that's the case because not many verses later, Paul will begin to talk about how they have proven their faith to people all across not only their community, but everywhere. Not only, not only where they live and in their community and in the towns around them, but their faithfulness is known everywhere. Why? Because it has come to them. It's come to them not only in word. But it's come to them in a transforming, life-changing power. And therefore, Paul is thankful for the work of faith that has taken place in their life. Because let's be honest, we don't see this with everyone who claims the name of Jesus. And it's worse now than it ever would have been in Paul's day. Again, there was a cost in Paul's day to labeling yourself as a Christian. It may cost you your life. It may cost you your livelihood. It would cause broken relationships. 
but there's not a lot of cost in our society. But you can go other places in the world. Go to a place like China. Go to a place like the Middle East and say, I am a Christian. Be a a former Muslim who says, I am a Christian and be kicked out of your family. Be removed from your community. Be put to death because you have changed faiths, which is quite illegal. There is a cost To having that work of faith take hold in your life. And Paul here is not thankful that they simply heard the good news. Or simply thankful that they would say at the end, well, yes, I am a Christian. I believe what you are saying. He realizes that in the life of this church, this church of the Thessalonians, that that the, the power of God had come to them, and the Holy Spirit had come upon them, and they had the full conviction to follow through on what God has said. The, the question is for us, do we have that full conviction? Are we believers because our parents were believers before us, and so we've just kind of done the same things that they did, we've kind of followed in their footsteps? Or are we a believer in Christ because we have the full conviction that what Christ has done has radically transformed our life. That we were dead in our sins, dying on our way to a devil's hell. And He pulled us out of that darkness and gave us marvelous light and called us then to live for Him. Friends, if so, that makes us a church worthy of thanksgiving. The second thing that we see Paul thankful for is their labor of love. Again, back in verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love. What was their labor of love? We we see that pick up in verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. What is taking place here? Well, they, he reminds them, you knew what kind of men we were among you. They were faithful, right? When Paul and Silas and Timothy, they go, they begin to preach, and they are faithful, even when it is difficult, even when it costs them um, livelihood, even when it causes them to be beaten and assaulted, they continue to be faithful. And what does the church of the Thessalonians begin to do? He says, you became imitators of us. And becoming imitators of Paul and Silas and Timothy, becoming imitators of the Lord, what happened? Verse 7, so you became an example to all the believers. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth Everywhere. So we need not say anything. He's thankful, secondly, for their labor of love. What is their labor of love? They saw what God wanted from them, and they then committed themselves to living a life pleasing to God. They saw in the life of Paul and Silas, or Silvanius, as as he lists himself here with his Greek name, and Timothy... They, they saw an example of how they should live, and then they committed themselves to it, and they began to live as God had called them to live.
can this be said of us? Like when we look, when we look at the Scriptures and we look at the life of Jesus and we look at how He lived and then we look at those early followers and how they lived, do we see anything about how they live reflected in the way that we live? And let me give you a hint. The, the more you would see in yourself, the more you would want to develop in yourself. Because we become very satisfied with the minimum. Let's say we start kind of living right a little bit and we start you know, doing some, some things as God has called us to do and we're, we're a little bit faithful. I think our tendency is, okay, that's good enough. But what we see is Paul... As he is following Christ, he continues in his life to seek to develop a more Christ-like attitude and a more Christ-like life that ends up in the end costing him his own life. If the Apostle Paul were to pray for us, would he have something to pray for in thanksgiving for our labor of love? Do we seek to be an example to other believers? Is our life such that we could come along someone else who is weaker in the faith and say, hey, brother, or hey, sister, listen, follow me. Follow me not because I've got all the answers. Follow me not because I'm doing it perfectly, but follow me because I'm seeking to follow Christ. Paul could say that. He could say that to believers. Follow me, imitate me, because I am attempting to imitate Christ. Could we say that? Now you say, Pastor, I'm just I'm far too humble to ever tell somebody to follow after me. Wow, if you're that good, I mean we all need to follow. It's not about us being perfect. It's it's not about us having it all together and then we could do it. Friends, are we striving to follow Christ in such a way that we could look to others and say, listen, just, just get on board and go with me because we're going to where Christ wants us to be. What about as a church? Should that not be our goal? Should our goal not be... Not that we fill the place up or not that the, the music is the best or the preaching is the best because unfortunately you, you don't have that right now for sure. Or should the, the goal be that as a church we're seeking to follow after Christ in such a way that if someone else came and said, how do y'all do that? Just, just tell them, hey, just follow us. We're just, we're just trying to follow Jesus. Just, just hop on board. Not, oh, well, we crafted this program and it really took off or, or we really put together this ministry so well. What if it was just we sought to follow Jesus and that made us an example to everyone else? Because that's what they have done. In, in fact, he's not given any reasons yet for people to follow them. Do you notice that? There, there's nothing here. There's no specific examples of something they've done, and, and if everybody will just do that, it'll take care of the problem. He just says they sought to imitate Christ. They sought to imitate 
Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, they sought to follow them. Even though it was difficult, we see in verse 6, they received the word in much affliction. They had joy in the Spirit and they became an example to all believers. An example to all believers in that region because of their faithfulness. And once they were an example, look what happened. Verse 8. For not only has the word sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. What's that mean? They became an example following after Christ. And now people all across this region have heard about Jesus because they imitated Jesus. Do we wonder sometimes why people aren't coming to know Christ? Do we wonder why God doesn't send a great revival in our community or across the world? Could it be that there are a lot of people who say they're following Christ but do not imitate Him? It seems likely that if the church is imitating Christ... The word is going to go forth across the region because people are going to hear about those Christians who are living like Jesus. Do you remember? Do you remember what it was like when Jesus went and taught? Do you remember what it was like when Jesus was proclaiming the kingdom? Everyone came to hear. You say, well... Yeah, but that's because he could do he could do all these miracles and you know the the miraculous really draw people in, right? And I'm not gonna lie, it helps. Right? I mean, you don't have to go far around here and you find people that claim to do miracles and, and they speak in tongues and they have healings and all that, and it draws people in. But do you remember the guy that came just before Jesus. Do you remember a guy named John the Baptist? Wasn't doing miracles, right? What was he doing? He was poorly dressed. He ate bugs. He, he, he looked scary. And he hung out down by the river. That was him. That was John the Baptist. That was some of you when you woke up this morning. Looked just like him, I'm sure. What does the Bible say about John the Baptist? Why were the religious leaders afraid of John the Baptist? The whole world was going after him. You remember that? The, everybody. Everybody's going after him. All of Jerusalem would go up to hear him. Everyone would go in and go hear him. What miraculous was he doing? He wasn't. He was, he was preaching the truth. He was proclaiming the message he was a foreshadow, a forerunner of Jesus, proclaiming what was coming, proclaiming the day of the Lord. And what happened? Everybody went to hear him. It doesn't take the miraculous. It doesn't take the spectacular. They are imitating Christ. And by imitating Christ, they became an example to all the believers. And when they became an example to all, all the believers, the gospel sounded forth throughout their region. But it didn't stop there. End of verse 8. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we need not say anything. This was a church that did not seek to be the biggest. They did not seek to be the greatest. 
They did not put on the best show. They did not have the most spectacular. They were faithful and their faithfulness in imitating Christ caused the word of God to sound forth in Macedonia and Achaia and everywhere. Everywhere. The word of God went everywhere because they were faithful. Paul is thankful for their labor of love. The question, folks, is if Paul was praying for us, And he was thankful for the work of faith in our life because it's the work of faith that happens anywhere and anytime someone is saved. Would he then be able to come to the next line and say of us, he was thankful for our labor of love? Would Paul be able to say he was thankful? Because as we imitated Christ, as we imitated Paul, as we imitated the apostles, as we followed after those who loved Jesus, that His Word went forth everywhere because we were faithful. Because we took seriously the task of sharing the good news with a world that is lost and dying. You say, well, Pastor, how do we make that true of our church? Pastor, I really... And I want that to be true of our church. That, that, that we're a church worth imitating. That we're a church that, that the message of the gospel goes to people who are far from God. How do we do that? Can I encourage you that it begins with you? That it begins with you? It's very rare that there's a church that collectively imitates Christ and doesn't individually imitate Christ. It, it collectively, together, we imitate Christ and follow Him, but individually, we all do our own thing. That seems quite unlikely, doesn't it? It seems quite likely that that's not the way it's going to happen. And so if we want to be a church, if we want to be a people who Paul could be and anyone could be as they pray for us, thankful for the labor of love that we have, it begins with you. It begins with me. That we, we commit ourselves to imitating Christ. We commit ourselves to being an example to others. Even as rough as we may look, we, we, we commit ourselves to being the type of person when someone comes and says, hey, how can I follow Christ? You could look at them and say, just come follow me. I'm going to follow Christ and I'm going to help you. You follow me. And when you begin to imitate Christ, you go to someone else and say, hey, hey, follow me as I imitate Christ. It starts with us. It starts with me. It starts with you. Are we a church where anyone could pray and be thankful for our labor of love? And then the third thing he says there. Back in verse 3 is the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's thankful for their steadfastness of hope. Pick up in verse 9. For they themselves report. And it's talking about everywhere, everyone. They themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. 
and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised up from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul is thankful for their steadfastness of hope. The steadfastness of their hope. How steadfast is their hope? We know that they had turned from idols. So this means that at least part of the church, if not the great many of the church, were, were not Jewish people who had become believers, but rather were people who committed idolatry. So these were people who, who followed after these idols, these Greek and Roman gods, or they followed after uh, these gods from there in um, uh, Egypt, or they followed whatever local gods they had. They, they just followed some false idol. They followed a false idol, and, and now they had turned to Jesus. And this meant that they were going to be alienated from people around them. They were no longer going to go to the same places they had went before. They would not go into these temples and worship these false gods. They would not participate in the practices of this idolatry. They were steadfast in their hope. But not only that, but they were steadfast in waiting for Christ. And this is going to become kind of the bulk of, of what Paul talks about in the later chapters in talking about the return of Christ. Here, they were no longer going to place their hope in idols, but they were going to place their hope in Christ. Now think about this. This is a dramatic change. Again, we don't live in a culture that is full of idolatry in this way. But they would have had plenty of times where they went to a temple or they went to their home and they would have a physical idol there. An idol that they would fall down before and worship. An idol they might offer sacrifices to. They would, they would have an idol, something they could see. And that would be where their hope was. And now they were placing their hope in something unseen. Something unseen. Some of us were joking yesterday that just in the last week or so, there was a, an invisible statue that sold for something like $18,000. I could have made you one much cheaper, maybe half. If you would like to buy one of my invisible statues at half price, we're having a sale. But you know, when you buy a statue or a sculpture or whatever it was, Typically, you, you're going to have that to display. And, and we can debate whether art and things like that have real value or not. I, I, if people will pay money for it, it has value. But an invisible sculpture is so that you can use your imagination. And the artist sold it for 18 grand. And listen, I don't like that guy should be a hero to capitalists everywhere. If you can do that, go for it. But you know, when you've got art or something like that and you make that investment, you're, you're putting it, you're hanging it on your wall or you're putting it in a studio or somewhere in your home or in a gallery so that people can see it and there's a, a visual nature there. We as human beings are visual and so there's a representation that we can, we can um, kind of gravitate toward. And that is what is happening here to the Thessalonians. You know, they, they worship these idols. They, they worship something they could see and grab hold of. But you and I realize it was something with no power. 
And now they have made this massive transition in their life where they've gone from worshiping things that are seen to worshiping God who is unseen. And He praises them because they have put their hope there. They are waiting for Jesus. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. They're putting their hope in Christ and not in anything else. I wonder if Paul was praying for our church, could he, would he pray for the steadfastness of our hope? Would he find as he examined us that our hope is not in idols that we can see, but in the Son who delivers us from the wrath to come. You say, Pastor, i got no idols in my house. I'm good on this one. Friends, we all have idols. And many of them we can see and hold on to. With our cell phones, you can, you can do mobile banking now. You can give online, by the way, too. Just want to mention that in case you've never taken advantage of it. But we can log on to our bank accounts <clears throat> or maybe your retirement fund. I used to never worry about my retirement fund at all. None. Zero. Because that's what was in it. So there was nothing to worry about. They don't take you past zero. But now it's got a few dollars in it. And I check it every now and then. Now how crazy is that? I'm, I'm 30 years from retiring. But we do that, right? What about our homes? It's a big brick and mortar idol that you can see. Is that how you view it? Is that where your treasure is? Some of you may do that with the relationships you have. You treasure them above all. You would never be like the people in the Middle East or in China who have to give up those relationships to follow after Jesus. If you're reading your Bible through in the year and it comes to if you don't hate your father and mother, you're like, that was hyperbole. Jesus didn't really mean that. That would be so mean and you move on and don't think about it. Maybe it's your job. Because you know it's not the one you should be doing. You know God has something greater for you, but you continue to do it because it helps feed the other idols. You know, the retirement idol and the bank account idol and the house idol and the relationship idol. But no, we don't have any idols in America. Hey, some of you were borderline idolatrous because I felt this in my own life last year when we had an election as if there was some political party that might save us. Boy, were we wrong, I hope. We've got idols. And the question is, do we turn from idols and serve the living and true God? And wait on His Son. As invisible as He is today, who will be made visible in the last day. And we will, if we are His, be with Him forever. And guess what? As Andrew prayed earlier, all of this 
You know, this building we complain about, God's going to burn it up one day. I'm not sure it's going to make it till then, but if it does, he's going to finish it off. And there's not going to be a first Baptist Eichert in the new heaven and new earth. Because there's only one temple. There's only one place to worship, and it's around the feet of Jesus, and not in a building of brick and mortar. Do we worship idols and not even realize it? Paul praises the church of the Thessalonians because they have put away their idols as visible as they were, but no less important to them than our idols are to us. They had put them away and they now serve the living and true God and they waited for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers from the wrath to come. Because guess what? For those who continue to worship idols, wrath is coming. But Jesus is the one who delivers from wrath. And so guess what? When the wrath of God comes, all the money you got, not going to matter. All the friendships you've made will be irrelevant. Everything you put in retirement will be spent. The house will be knocked down. Everything that you have thought was important will be gone. But Jesus will be there, delivering His people from the wrath of God through His blood. And the church of the Thessalonians was praised because during all of that, in the midst of everything that was all around them, they had chosen to serve the living God. If Paul were praying for us, would he be thankful for the steadfastness of our hope? Or if he spent some time with us, if he came and worshipped for a few Sundays, if he, if he came to your house and had dinner with you and went with, with you to work to see what you were doing there and, and what kind of work you did. Maybe because he was itinerant, he's looking for a job himself, he thought he would go and talk to your employer about you. Would he find that you and that I have turned from idols and we are serving the living and true God? Or would he find that our hope, though we say it is in Jesus, is still found in all of these other things that will one day be gone? I hope that when he looks at us, he would be thankful for the steadfastness of our hope. So my question for you this morning. Do we reflect the type of church that others could be thankful for? Are we the type of church that the church down the road would be thankful for our light in the community? Are we the, the type of church that, that as brothers and sisters all over the world this morning were praying if they were going down the list, they would come to, to First Baptist Eichert and say, wow, there's a church that we can be thankful for because we know, we know how God has radically changed them. We know how their light is shining in the community around them. We know that they are holding fast to the hope that is only found in Jesus. Do we reflect this type of church? If not, friends, it begins with us. It begins in our heart. It doesn't begin in everything that we go and do. It didn't begin like that for the, for the Thessalonian people. It wasn't just because they went out and did and did and did and did and did. We've done that before, right? Some of you say we've done that for a long time. We just went and went and went. Friends, it starts in our heart. 
when our heart is transformed to imitate Christ, the other things will very quickly fall in place. Because here's the final thought. This type of church is effective for the kingdom. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Why? Because they would imitate Christ. Friends, let us all seek to be imitators of Christ and therefore a light in the ever-growing darkness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the great grace You've given us in Christ. He shed His blood so that we could be called Your children. You have chosen us. God, let that never, let that never be something that we brush off. Let that never be something that goes in one of our ears and out the other. Let that never be something that we take for granted. But God, you sent your son to die in our place and you have called us your children. We belong to you. God, therefore we pray that we, as broken as our lives are, as frequently humbled as we are by your grace, that we would live bold lives imitating you. God, crush the idols in our life. God, remove them. God, and help us. Help us to be a church worthy of imitation. A people worthy of imitation. A people whose, whose faithfulness, not for our glory, but for your glory, is known in Eichard, is known in Burke County, is known in North Carolina and North America and around the world. God, because your glory is all that matters. God, we seek no recognition. But God, we desire to make your name famous among all nations, all people, everywhere. God, we pray for the lost around us. But God, more importantly, we pray, God, that we would be faithful in going to them. God, use your people, your people you have called First Baptist Eichert, your people to make your name known here and around the world. God, I pray that the impression you would make on every heart because of your word are not my words, but your words that we all should live lives worthy of imitation. God, where there is sin in our life, remove that sin. God, I pray that each person here will be convicted of their sin, even now. God, that we would repent of our sin and we would follow you faithfully. God, those here who don't know you, God, I pray that you would show them the need they have to follow you this morning. And God, all those who do know you, God, let us leave here with the desire to live a life worth imitating so the world would hear. The world would hear of your name, of your grace. They would know you. 
God, guide us as we pray. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we sing this final song. Friends, the word of God is clear. We have been called to live for Him. He has saved us and redeemed us. Friends, if we want to be a a people and a church worth imitating, it begins with you and it begins with me. It begins in my heart with living a life that I can point others toward. Would you respond to God's word? Maybe you need to come and pray this morning. Maybe you need to pray where you're at. God, let me live a life worth imitating so I can point others toward you. God, let our church be a church worth imitating so we can point others toward you. You respond to God's word as we sing together. Who will call on the hurting, making perfect the stand through the ages giving rest to the warm He is Jesus He is Jesus Christ our
Okay, so Bible school, whether you realize it or not, is quickly approaching. We're a month away from Bible school. All right, so um, I've got snacks covered. I've got rec covered. I'm pretty sure I have group leaders covered. I really need one more lady um, to be a group leader that has not signed up yet. Um, I need help in crafts and music. Um, so this is my plea bargain to you. I, I need help in crafts and music for Bible school. All right, so these are the people I have signed up. I need you to see me today so I can get your shirt size, please. Um, I have Robert and Lori Eckerd, Kelly Eisenhower, Kim Atkins, Teresa McDowell, um, Rachel Pardue, Amelia Peacock, Lauren Curley, Chad Fowler, Josh Peacock, Jason Pardue, Celine Ellison, Bess and Barbara Brown, Dolores Coulter, Kenny Ellison, Scott McDowell, and Ned Beck. Okay, so if y'all will see me to get you your shirt sizes, and again, I need help in crafts and music, so if I have someone willing to step up and do that, that would be awesome. So uh, I want to thank you for coming out to worship this morning and uh, just pray that as you go, the Lord would keep you. Um, as we pray, uh, as we end the service, I want to uh, take a moment and pray especially uh, for um, our, our Peacock family and, and uh, others. Um, uh, as you know, almost three years ago, uh, one of our church members' life was, was taken from her. And... Um, I know for this family it's been a long journey, but uh, the hope is tomorrow there's some closure to that. Um, you know, we, we realize that because we're sinful human beings, uh, when we form governments and systems, they're going to be imperfect. And that goes for our justice system as well. Um, but uh, my hope for this family who has suffered greatly is that this will be some form of closure as much as there can be. Um, and we realize that ultimately judgment falls in God's hands. And we find comfort in that. Um, it also causes us to tremble. And so um, we pray for them. If you're able to come, um, it's noon tomorrow at the, the courthouse um, there up in Morganton. And uh, come and support them if you're able and I know they would appreciate that very much. Um, but one of the strongest things we can do is be a family of faith together. And, uh, and so we pray together then this morning uh, that God would be at work and that justice would be served. And in the end, God will be honored above all. So I want to pray uh, for that. And when we're finished praying, uh, it'll be time for Sunday school and we'll continue to study God's word together. So let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we, God, we thank you for your grace even when we don't deserve it. 
God, we pray especially as the burdens of our heart now turn to our desire for justice. God, we pray that that's, that's what we see. We, we pray that as much as humanly can be possible. God, that in, in this court hearing that's happening tomorrow, God, that justice would be served. God, we know that there is nothing that can be done to, to undo what has happened, but God, we just pray that in all that happens, you would be honored, that there would be peace for this family that has experienced such turmoil. God, we rest in the assurance that, one, all of us who know you, no matter what happens to us in this life, we are with you forever. And God, we find that to be, God, we find that to be our only hope. And so God, we pray that in the days and weeks ahead, you would comfort, God, this family, our family of faith, that you would wrap your loving arms around this family. And that this moment would bring some amount of closure. God, that would give comfort. God, that we know life has, God, just been short of lately. So God, we pray that you would move. We trust in the power of your spirit. God, I pray that as we go, God, we would be light in darkness. God, we know that this reminds us of how dark the world is. And God, we know that you have called your people to be light. So lead and guide us as we go. And we thank you for the grace you've given us in Christ as we pray in his name.